Welcome to Accelerating Government with ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Now your host, Dave Winogren. Welcome to another episode of Accelerating Government. For over 40 years, the American Council for Technology and Industry Advisory Council has served a unique position in the federal marketplace as a nonprofit whose purpose is to bring together government and industry leaders to accelerate government mission outcomes through collaboration, leadership, and education. On today's episode, we're gonna talk with some outstanding federal technology leaders who have recently received ACT-IAC 2021 Executive Leadership Awards. Our guests today are Darren Ash from the Department of Agriculture, Joanne Wotek from NASA, and Industry Executive Ted Davies. So let's get to it. Our first guest today is Darren Ash, the Assistant Chief Information Officer for the Farm Production and Conservation Mission Area at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Darren is also a past president of the American Council for Technology and is currently co-chair of the ACT-IAC Collaboration Council. And most importantly for today's episode, Darren is the 2021 ACT-IAC Government Executive Leadership Award winner bestowed in the spirit of John J. Frankley. Welcome to the show, Darren, and congratulations. Dave, thank you, and thank you for having me, and and obviously the whole of the ACT-IAC organization for the recognition. It is a well-deserved honor. Uh, You have just been stalwart in your support of organizations like ACT-IAC, and we will talk some more about that as we get into the show. But I thought maybe since you've had such a long and all-guest career, maybe as a starting place, we could just talk a little bit about your career. What led you to government service? And give so, us a quick highlight about where that journey has taken you. Sure, Dave. Thank you. And that, yeah, it's it's been amazing just with the journey I've been on. I, I came out of graduate school with a Master of Public Administration, desired to work in government. Uh, and I started my career at the Internal Revenue Service, uh, what we used to call Tax Systems Modernization Version 2, or at least that's what I used to call it. Um, again, doing good and improving how the organization operates and incredibly important mission. Um, and, and I think really that for, for, for me, for that jumping off point, I've had the pleasure and honor to be able to have worked at, at different organizations across the federal landscape, uh, both uh, agencies within a cabinet department, as well as cabinet agencies and independent organizations as well. I started internal revenue services I just referenced. I worked over at the Department of Treasury, moved over to the Department of Transportation in the CIO's office. And I was for almost nine years, I was the CIO at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, an independent organization, independent agency. And then for the last five plus years, I've been at USDA. It's been a great run. And I'll say like, you know, Darren started in government as a mere child because he and I worked <laughs> together for, and, and I had some great privileges of working with him over the years. But of course, I'm long since retired from government and you're still toiling in the vineyards and we're grateful for that. You've been at agriculture for five years now. Tell us a little bit about the current job. What are some of the things that you're working on? What are some of your priorities? What's going on? Sure. And, and you've already referenced my title. I won't, I won't have to repeat it. But the neat thing about our organization, our missionary, is that we support four incredibly important organizations within USDA. The reason I say incredibly important is because who they touch in terms of customer service. Um, I, we provide IT services, and I'll get into that in a moment, for the Farm Service Agency, the Risk Management Agency, the Natural Resources Conservation Service, and the Business Center for the, for the mission area. And the reason I say that's important, and it gets back to customer experience and customer service, we are accountable for a large portfolio of systems and applications that are used, by, used daily by the, our staff across the country. Uh, in, in a couple thousand service centers and who they support, 
farmers, ranchers, private landowners, and they help on, on everything from voluntary conservation practices for soil. They help those that are affected by natural disasters such as floods or fires. The pandemic, they provided a tremendous amount of support for the farming industry on, uh, as a result of the pandemic. We issue loan and also support insurance practices. And what's impressive about our organization in terms of the full suite of responsibilities, we have an annual spend of about $900 million a year on IT, which is impressive. And it's amazing in terms of just what we do to support and really moving the mission forward and enabling our organizations, the agencies within the missionary to do their job. In terms of just what's important these days, what are the exciting things that we're working on? Obviously, I referenced that a moment ago, pandemic-related programs, tremendous interest by the Congress and the administration uh, these days, and, and actually post and present, to provide necessary support for, for, for the different companies and organizations and farmers that have been uh, unfor unfortunately impacted by the pandemic. Uh, another cool, really cool area is around farm loan modernization. I, I know it may be uh, odd to think of USDA as issuing loans, but we do, uh, particularly all relating to farm. Uh, there's another organization within USA that does this as well, but a uh, heavy emphasis on modernizing, frankly, our loan portfolio. Um, and doing and, and really upgrading in a very significant way and bringing us into the 21st century in terms of how we support our employees and how they do loan, loan work, but most importantly, our customers, uh, those the recipients, both in terms of applying for loans, but also servicing loans. Uh, another cool area, cloud migration. And then finally, of course, security. Those are just a, a smattering of things that are just incredibly important and, and frankly, exciting to do. Uh, because of their impact. You've been a champion for customer experience. You mentioned the customers several times during your talk about the things that you're working on. Some of the advances that have been going on in improving customer experience, what, what are you excited about there? Where are you seeing advances in yeah, yeah, I think it, it's it's making it easier. Again, I think of our customers in two ways. We have our, our employees across the country within the mission area, making it easier for them to do their job and how they serve their customers. Uh, whether it's the systems they use, making it more intuitive, user-friendly, uh, less cumbersome. Again, you want, as an employee in any organization, be able to do your job efficiently and effectively uh, and to be able to spend that quality time with your customer. The other one is, is that farmer. Um, making it easier for them to apply, frankly, lowering the barriers of entry. And what I mean by that is equity. I think about those that may, and, and frankly, when we think about rural America, uh, how many individuals don't necessarily have reliable bandwidth, reliable internet connections? How can we make it easier, again, lowering that barrier of entry for them to, to interact with us? Incredibly important uh, to the organization. But again, it, it's how do we improve their experience? How do we improve our employees' experience? And frankly, do a better job at, at, at providing the types of services we do for our customers. It is a really broad set of constituencies. I'm so delighted you talked about both aspects of it, the, the employee experience and the, and the service to the citizen, service to farmers. And you're right, you, you touch lives across the entire country. It is just incredible, the reach of agriculture and, and what, it, what it touches and, and the people that are coming from different perspectives and different bandwidth and things like that. You, you mentioned the pandemic and it's probably worth talking about that a little bit because I got to imagine, you know, on top of limitations of bandwidth and connectivity and things like that the pandemic has just must have had a lot of impacts on the ability to deliver services and how people consume services and i just wonder if you want to maybe opine for a minute or two about 
what have we learned from dealing with the pandemic, both in terms of virtual work and, and, and just getting the mission done? What are some of the things that you find like sort of have been improvements or challenges? What are things we shouldn't lose sight of as we sort of come out of it? For us, I think it's the realization that, yes, we can provide these types of services in different ways. We can go beyond just the normal course of a cu- customer coming into an office and, and, and us working with them to, to fill out a form and apply for a program. We can do things virtually. We can do things online. And there's a whole host of, of frankly, given capabilities that are out there today, as well as things that we can apply in the future that make it easier for, again, for those, those customers to interact with us, to apply for a program. And I think just applying some of those basic principles, I think will help us. And again, from an employee perspective, definitely been able, I think collectively, particularly for our organization to demonstrate that yes, we can drive success and drive uh, to deliver these types of solutions and systems, whether we're at home or or we're working in the office. I think we've been able to demonstrate our ability through this unfortunate pandemic to be able to get the job done, which is really cool. Yeah, it has been really challenging times. And and I'm just sort of wondering as as you know, as all of a sudden we went into lockdown mode, how hard was that shift for you to move to the all virtual participation? I mean, you have people spread out across the country. So I have to imagine you were ahead of a lot of other agencies perhaps and being able to be virtually connected. Yeah, for our for the IT organization, you're right. And and you do reference you did reference that. The bulk of, my, of our organizations in a variety of parts of the country, Kansas City and Fort Worth and Salt Lake City, Raleigh. I mean, again, we're already geographically distributed. I think through the use of the virtual space and, and different tools that frankly were available to us and frankly were uh, amplified and, and, and uh, augmented uh, by USDA, uh, it made our lives easier in terms of just our ability to communicate, interact, have meetings. And frankly, you know, I think one thing that it did help us with, it frankly leveled the playing field. We were all on screen at the same time. It wasn't like there was a group of folks in an office and some folks on screen. So it, again, it helped us. It helped us be uh, work more closely together, improve communications, and frankly, uh, grew us as a team. That's great to hear. And, and I just applaud the work that you guys have been doing. We're talking with Darren Ash, the 2021 ACT IA Government Executive Leadership Award recipient. We're going to take a short break and then return to our conversation with Darren in just a couple of minutes. I'm Dave Wintergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT IAC on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Accelerating Government with ACT IAC. I'm Dave Wintergren. And in this segment, we continue our conversation with Darren Ash, the Assistant Chief Information Officer for the Farm Production and Conservation Mission Area at the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the 2021 ACT-IAC Government Executive Leadership Award recipient bestowed in the spirit of John J. Frankie. When we left off, we were talking about how powerful it has been to adopt and use technology going forward and and making sure that we understand what the future holds and and not waiting to be a part of that future. And I think that sort of speaks to something that you've just been a stalwart champion for throughout your career, and that is the giving of your time. You give so much of your time in addition to the hard work that you do for the nation by being a part of organizations like ACT-IAC, by recognizing, I'll say, the power of collaboration, the, the need for industry and government to talk. And I'm just wondering if maybe you could share with our audience, why have you chosen to be such a consistent champion of the importance of government industry collaboration? Sure. That's that's a really good question, Dave. And and one, you know, when I think of my time in government, and I, I would suspect many of your listeners know this too, 
there for for all of our organizations, all of our agencies, all of our missions, we all have so many different challenges and so many different opportunities to improve how we serve serve the citizen, how we affect our different missions from an IT perspective, et cetera. What I have found and the reason why I volunteer is I know that the best ideas, the experiences, the lessons learned, and the wisdom is all around us in all the different organizations that we work with or, or don't work with. Again, part of our federal family. Honestly, you know, when I think about me as a volunteer, I'm a firm believer that our collective success as a federal government depends on sharing, learning, and giving. And I think organizations like ACDIAC is an opportunity and a venue to do just that. There's opportunities for me to share. There's also opportunities for me to learn. You know, what I have found through ACDIAC and, and some of your sister organizations, good government organizations, is there are so many incredibly, incredible thought leaders and visionaries and practitioners out there. Organizations like this bring them together. Um, these are amazing folks, and I find that uh, when you bring those folks together, the visionaries, the thought leaders, practitioners, that just expands the ability to, to both give and learn. And I think that's an important part for me, an important reason why I continue to participate in an organization like ACDIAC. Um, and I think even with the limited resources we all have in any organization, this I think increases our opportunity and chances for to drive success and to be more efficient on what we spend. And I think that's a good thing. And I think the more that we, the, the way we do this, the need to do this, I think will continue to enable all of us practitioners, both in government and in industry, to work together and to share. And I, that's why I do it and why I enjoy it. Thank you for that. You have been such a champion for this idea about we're, we're better when we talk, that ideas come from all over. And the more you can get people together, the better outcomes it'll be achieved. And and despite years of Mythbuster memos and better buying power memos and things like that, we still sometimes get like wrapped around the axle about can we talk to can we talk to the industry person or not and things like that. But 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 throughout our history together and and your continuing service in government. You know, that's that's how the magic happens is by getting people together and get the best ideas from wherever they may come from. As you sort of look forward to the year ahead, um, you talked about some of the technology issues that are going on with you. I'd love to maybe talk a couple more minutes about, you know, what do you see as a federal technology leader as the technology issues that, that, that government agencies have to keep top of mind as they go forward in the year ahead? I know you've, you've got a great passion for IT modernization and for security. And I wonder if maybe you want to offer some thoughts around, sure. you know, what should we be focusing our time on? I think the first one, and you've already said it, is security. I know there's a tremendous amount of interest, obviously, stemming from the executive order and the things that the organizations, um, many organizations had to grapple with, which is, you know, how to continue to enhance and, and really grow a, a truly robust approach to protecting our assets, protecting our information, protecting our missions. Zero trust, of course, is a big part of that approach. And I think what is impressive about that approach, and, and I think over time, that'll probably grow and evolve uh, to be even more sophisticated and, 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 and frankly, even more valuable, um, is just the nature of thinking and, and looking at things differently than we've looked at it before and knowing that there's different and better ways, frankly, for us to protect information, again, protect our mission, protect the information. And I, what I really like about the way things are going these days is the amount, again, akin to what we just spoke about, the amount of sharing uh, that's going on, the lessons learned, because there's no room for error. We all have to get this right. All the different organizations, agencies across the federal space, civilian and DOD, we got to get it right. And if we can all learn from each other and, and get it right, then so much the better. The other technology that I think about that I think also plays into it is around robotic processing, machine learning, 
artificial intelligence. And I bring that up just in terms of just automating and doing, doing things more smartly, obviously through the use of technology. But I think that theme of zero trust, robotic processing, artificial intelligence is frankly being smarter as, a, as an entity in terms of how we use technology. I mean, we've traditionally dealt with a lot of labor-intensive, ad hoc, or other types of approaches and processes and technologies. I think the smarter we go, I think we have enhanced our capabilities and frankly enhanced our confidence and our ability to deliver. So I think it's around a general theme of, of being smarter with technology and letting it help you, but also doing it in a, in a much better way. You mentioned earlier about cloud computing. What are some of the takeaways from your experience with cloud? What are some of the lessons learned, advice for others who may not be as far in that journey as you are? Yeah, I think it's, again, I'm going to stay within the, the USDA environment. Incredible interest in, in this space led by USDA, by the department. Gary Washington happens to be the president of ACT this year. And the important endeavor to be smart in terms of how we manage our assets, where it's hosted, but most importantly, how we... Again, how we deliver and deploy and manage those those capabilities. But I think the one thing that I would I would say true to in terms of cloud, it's not just about where it's hosted, but I know Gary has been very clear with all of us and I absolutely 100% agree. It's not just about the hosting, it's about doing it right and most importantly, doing it securely. And using the technologies and approaches to do it securely, do these things securely, and again, going back to the zero trust concepts, protecting the information, protecting the mission, and not losing sight of that. You have also been a great champion for professional development and, and the workforce. And so I wonder, maybe we talk for a minute or so about attracting and retaining the, the next generation of federal leaders. And what are some of your thoughts about creating that environment that will help attract them to federal service and, and then help them stay once they come? I think the thing is that I think will, will help attract uh, the next generation of federal leaders is, is both impact and mission. Impact being that that we collectively, this community, have a an important role to play as part of the broader uh, governance and and organizations uh, to drive change, uh, to drive uh, success in terms of mission, and to to be strong partners to to bring and and introduce new technologies and new innovations. Um, and I think that's that uh, amazing things that we can do. Um, I think the other thing again is mission. Um, I think each of the departments and agencies that we think of and know of all uniquely have something really important to do. Um, and each one is special. And I think what is, I think something that always, and I hope will continue to attract uh, the, the next generation of leaders is again, not just the impact, but for what we're impacting and how we're, we're, we're doing something better differently to, again, to support the American citizen, to support our customers, and frankly, being a better organization. So again, impact and mission, I think, are the things that I, I would hope will continue to sustain and attract the next generation of leaders and what they can do going forward. I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I too found that, you know, the leadership opportunities start so early in your career in federal service. So in addition to that call to mission and that call to public service, there are great learning and growing leadership opportunities that abound in the, in the government sector. And so as we wrap it up in about another minute, minute and a half that we have left, you know, you've been such a champion for mentoring too, that I'd love to just give you a chance as we go out to, to offer some advice to the audience particularly like younger folks in the audience today, they're maybe just starting out their federal technology career. What's some advice you'd like to offer them? I think you, you hit on the first one. I, I'm going to maybe give you about four or five. First one is seek out a mentor or mentors, plural. 
not just within your organization, but sometimes outside of your organization. Folks can give you some different perspectives and give you advice. I think those mentors are incredibly important throughout your career, wherever you are in your career. I would say don't be afraid to ask for developmental assignments. Again, you've got, again, think of your career as, as part of it is, is growing and learning. Developmental assignments are another aspect of that. I'd say attend good government events, things that are promoted and, 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 and sponsored by ACT-IAC and, and some of your counterpart organizations, good opportunities to learn about what's going on within the federal space. Tie to that, grow your network. And then the last thing I'd say is volunteer. There are plenty of opportunities across the, 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 the space on things that you're passionate about, specific topics, specific projects, specific technologies. We can always use your, your, your thoughts, your ideas, both as somebody as a contributor, but also use that as an opportunity to learn as well. So those would be the things that I would recommend uh, for somebody that's just starting out in the federal market space. Darren Ash is the 2021 ACTIA Government Executive Leadership Award recipient and a longtime federal technology leader. Thank you so much for your service. And thank you so much for joining us today, Darren. It's been great having a chance to chat with you. Thank you, Dave. We're going to take a short break. And when we return, we have more interviews with our 2021 Industry and Government Leadership Award winners. I'm Dave Wendergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACTIA on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. I'm Dave Wendergren, and today we're talking with some of the 2021 ACT-IAC Leadership Award winners. And I'm delighted to welcome back to the show Ted Davies. Ted most recently served as CEO of Altamira Technologies. He's had a long history in the federal technology market to include running Unisys Federal. And near dear to my heart, he's the only person to have served twice as the chair of the board for the Industry Advisory Council. Ted, congratulations on receiving the 2021 ACT-IAC Industry Executive Leadership Award bestowed in the spirit of Janice K. Mendenhall. And welcome back to the show. Well, thank you very much, Dave. It's an honor and a pleasure to be back with you again. We're delighted to have you back on the show, and I'm delighted to be celebrating with you this uh, receiving ACTIAC's highest industry award. So why don't we start there? You have run large and complex enterprises. You're an incredibly busy executive, and yet you consistently make time to give back to the community through the work of groups like ACTIAC and others. Why do you make that commitment, and why should other top industry executives also carve out time to give back to the community? Well, beyond the fact that I get to work with great people like you, Dave, um, which is always fun, and all the great people that are involved with, with ACT-IAC in particular, but also industry organizations. There's, there's a number of reasons why, you know, why I continue to make time to do this. The, the first one is that it's just the right thing to do. You, know, you have experience and talent, and, and you try and work with organizations that have vital missions that are just having a positive impact. And In ACT-IAC's case, you know, accelerating government mission outcomes is you couldn't have a better, you know, better mission. So I've always been excited to be involved because it really helps shape and influence the way our government operates. So doing the right thing is, is always a good place to start. But, you know, there's two, I'll call it more selfish reasons to do it as well. One is to build relationships. You know, I've, I've met dozens of people over the years through my efforts with ACDIAC and other organizations, both in government and industry. And and these relationships have really helped me grow personally and professionally. They've, they've helped me with my business objectives at times. They've helped me identify other people that I need to bring in to work with. I find talent and attract talent, uh, look for new opportunities to, to expand the way we're doing things. You know, I, I kind of view this as a ripple effect that, you know, we, we, when you get together with people on, in, in things like this, that, 
you just never know where it's going to lead. And I just have countless ways that it's benefited me, those relationships. And, and the other kind of selfish reason is just to build knowledge. You know, I've, I've for 15 years probably made ELC a mandatory every year. Got to be there as a good example. And it's because I can get in two to three days just a download on everything that's going on. You know, what are the top trends that are happening? Who are the, who are the big players? You know, what, what are the things that are going to be emerging over the next, you know, 12 to 24 months that we got to get in front of? Um, you, you just, you, you get all that in a really, really quick way. And I've appreciated ACDIAC being such a, such a broad scope of people that, that attract and, and come to these events. And, and it allows you to kind of pull your nose up from day to day. I got a thousand things to do and look at the big picture. Um, so I've really, really appreciated that. I, I think it, those, are, those are reasons I stay involved for over the years with ACDIAC. You know, primarily as a great organization. The last time you were on the show, we talked a little bit about uh, surviving the pandemic. And it's six months later, and companies and federal agencies continue to grapple with the safety and convenience of a virtual world versus the power of in-person collaboration. What are some of your observations on what executives should and should not be doing as we seek to find the new normal in the months ahead? Yeah, I think everybody's seeking for a new normal. I've, I've said for a while, I don't know when we get to what you'll call a new normal. I think continual change is something we're going to live with, certainly for the next year or two. Um, so I'll do a couple of things that you shouldn't do, probably, and then ideas on what maybe you should do. The first one is um, don't get stuck in, in a new pattern of behavior. You know, you already hear some people that are kind of returned to the office and they're kind of into a a pattern and, and they're going to keep doing that in operating rhythm, a location, the way they're, the way they're working. And, you know, the world's going to keep changing. So don't get stuck in a pattern. One thing we've learned, you know, during the pandemic is the change is just going to be constant. So that, that's kind of one, but, but the big thing that I focus on moving forward is, is just this, the ability to stay agile and flexible. You can't be agile enough in the world that we live in today. That's kind of um, one thing I think is important. Another one is communication. People are starving for communication still. And, and even though we've communicated over all the different uh, you know, platforms that we can communicate over, Zoom and Teams, et cetera, um, it, it's still um, really hard to understand what's going on. So people want more communication. So you gotta keep on communicating. You need to continue to articulate priorities and stay consistent with them. You know, you, you're not gonna be able to, to dictate every course of action that's gonna happen over the next six months to 12 months but you can make some big priorities that you're trying to focus on. People are feeling whiplash in their lives and they need to have a couple things they can hang on to and realize that when I go to work, here's what we're trying to focus on over the next, you know, it's called six to 12 months. And circumstances are gonna change and conditions are gonna change and everything else is gonna change. But if you focus on some big priorities and articulate those, people are gonna really, really appreciate it. And kind of the other thing I would say along this, this vein is, is that, Everybody's got to be comfortable with change, and you got to model that behavior. They, that I'm comfortable with it. I, I love the uh, I love the the John Wooden quote, the famous basketball coach quote. He said that failure is not fatal, but failure to change might be. And I think it's really important that we're able to do that. So that, that, that's kind of general ideas. The the other thing I would say about this whole kind of return from the pandemic is um, I think we got to think hybrid. You know, I think everybody's going to end up in a hybrid world. You see it every day with new announcements. People are kind of coming back to the office. But, you know, when, when you're looking at, at how to set up a, a new environment, you have to give people the ability to come and go at times when they need to. And, and a one-size-fits-all approach is probably not going to work. And, 
you know, the way I, examples I use, you, you think about somebody who works on a help desk. Well, you know, that person has one set of, of flexibility. You got somebody who's doing desk side support, that's a whole different decision, right? You look at people that are maintaining, you know, legacy code and doing a little bit of break fix on software, you know, maybe they can be more remote. But I think we're finding that with sophisticated new code development, there's an element you got to be together at times. So, you know, you got to have some flexibility and we've got to take advantage of the opportunity to work in what's kind of a new hybrid model. And the last thing I'd say about this topic is around what I look at as the apprenticeship model. And if you think about, you know, the history of, of, any, of any country and, and even the, you know, the early days of the United States, you had blacksmiths and farmers and, and early doctors and lawyers. And, and so much of that was, was through apprenticeship. You learn from people that had done it before. And it, it applies to our industry today. You know, technology is complicated. And you learn a lot through school and training and coursework and everything else. But you learn a lot more on the job than you do in any book you're ever going to read. And so you learn from other people. And apprenticeship is best done in person. So there has to be some element of, of being together, but there ought to be some element that you're allowed to work flexibly because that's what the world requires today. That's a long answer, Dave. I hope I didn't, I didn't put you to go too far with that. <laughs> I thought it was great, you know, avoid arbitrary decisions, try to make sure that you're still relevant. You know, there was just a lot of powerful stuff in there. And so, you know, I'd like to, a healthy government contracting community is so important to an effective government. And so maybe as we wrap up, we still got a little over two minutes left. Why don't we talk a little bit about what are some of the trends and challenges and opportunities you're seeing in the federal technology market that companies should keep an eye on and, and then, you know, some advice for the audience. Sure. The, you know, in terms of big trends, why don't you ask me after ELC, because I'm going to learn so much at ELC. Was that enough of a shameless plug, Dave? <laughs> that was great. We love it. Imagination ELC. <laughs> anyway, because I, I do pick up a lot there, but, you know, I, I think in a couple directions here. One is that the solutions that are being put out there have to be secure and they got to be scalable. And, uh, you know, really, you just take one look at the, at the TMF right now. And, and I, I was looking at it recently and, you know, three of the 17 projects currently approved in the, from the technology modernization fund are around zero trust. And a handful of others are directly related to identity management and security and security is through everything. So you gotta have secure solutions um, and you gotta be scalable. People don't want, don't want uh, point solutions that can't move to other, other parts of the enterprise. You've gotta be able to, to move. Um, and part of that is this continued cloud enablement environment we live in. I was reading a Gartner report recently and public sector cloud spending is going to be up 25% this year over last year. And they're expecting another 25% next year. And their public sector spending alone on cloud, a half a trillion dollars next year. So, you know, this is if five years ago, you never would have been able to get your head around that number. So this ability to, to have secure, scalable solutions is going to be critical, I think. Ted Davies is the recipient of the 2021 ACT-IAC Industry Executive Leadership Award and an icon in the federal technology market. Ted, it has been such an honor to work for you and to have your friendship over the years. Thank you so much for joining us today. Always a pleasure, Dave. Look forward to continuing to work with you. Excellent. We'll take a quick break now. When we return, we'll be hearing from NASA Program Manager Joanne Wotek. I'm Dave Wenergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network.
Welcome back. You're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. I'm Dave Wintergren, CEO of ACT-IAC, and on today's show, we're talking with some of the outstanding federal technology leaders who are recipients of the 2021 ACT-IAC Leadership Awards. On this segment, I'm joined by Joanne Wojtek, NASA Soup Program Director and the recipient of the 2021 ACT-IAC Education Award bestowed in the spirit of Ginny McCormick. Welcome, Joanne. It's delightful to have you on the show and congratulations. Well, thank you. It's delightful to be here. It was our pleasure. It was a fabulous choice. I'm delighted to be along for the ride on that part of the process. Joanne, you've had an outstanding career in government. As we get started, why don't you tell folks a little bit about your career? What led you to government service? And maybe give us a quick highlight of your career arc and where that journey has taken you. A nice short career, soon to be 44 years. Wow. Um, (laughs) I'm humbled. (laughs) I'm humbled by that. And I started in college, so... uh, um, and I started because I I, I was into uh, astronomy and really wanted to work for NASA and um, got a call to, to become a programmer for scientists versus a scientist myself. I was a physics major, but I decided, well, if I get, get to NASA, I'll get I'll get to do eventually get to do astronomy. Never did. I, I started on programming and, and, and stuck with it. Well, no more. I'm now a manager <laughs> for many many years. Most of my career. Uh, Programming in support of the scientists, particularly the meteorologists at NASA, um, doing research, uh, doing imaging from the satellites and combining it with um, imaging from elsewhere and data. And, and so I um, had, a, had a lot of history in working with customers and, um, and technology and how to make it work for, for the scientists in particular, but then later in life, uh, working with the data center and the NASA data center and how to make that data available to broader spectrum of people. And then eventually through a number of many pathways got ended up uh, working on the soup contracts as, as the um, uh, one of the co-technical leads for the uh, first SCB source evaluation board for creating the, the soup one contracts. A long story on its own as to how I got to that. And then eventually realized um, technology and, and management was of interest to me, and um, and about nine years into Soup, I we decided to make a super program officially and have an official civil servant in charge, and I took that that role. So it all it all kind of blended into the same piece, and I'm still very much involved in the whole question of um, informing people. That that's been a, a through line of my career, informing um, customers through, through data, through interfaces, um, providing information to industry and, and customers, government customers. Um, and so it's, it's all, it all makes sense. And that's a very short <laughs> summation of a very long career. Well, anyone who's involved in the government contracting market knows about soup, but for our broader audience, maybe you could just talk a little bit about what soup is and then what are some of your priorities as the NASA soup program director? So, um, so soup, as I mentioned, began uh, a few years back, and it actually was in '93. Um, so we're in soup five now. It's, you know, soup one was in '93, and it was started to help a scientist get his computer. Um, a very simple idea <laughs> that became uh, very quickly, even as we got soup one started, became the test pilot for something called government wide action contracts, or the infamous uh, GWAC term. So we were the pilot for that, based on GSA's request that we do so. So, uh, so we learned learned how to kind of play the ropes of, of working with agencies and, and what this GWAC idea would be primarily, and it's grown. And again, this is another long story. It's 20 some years, obviously. So soup is 
has become the largest IT contract vehicle in the government. We provide uh, both products and, ser and services. Our SOUP stands for Solutions for Enterprise-Wide Procurement. Not the original uh, reason for the name, but uh, it, it's evolved into that. Um, we actually are the only eight, uh, contract vehicle outside of the GSA contracts that every government agency regularly uses. So not just as a GWAC available to all of them, we are actually used by everyone. Um, and just had $10 billion worth of business go through this past fiscal year. So um, it's, it's grown from a very small idea of, of helping one customer at, at Goddard Space Flight Center. And because we, we work towards at that information piece, that merger of industry and government and trying to make sure that, that acquisition is something that works on both sides, um, which of course is important to ACT-IAC, um, is, um, is a key to, um, to, to our success and, and how we've gotten to where we are. And, and I should say that, you know, the success of Soup paved the way to make GWAC vehicles like such a prominent tool used across government. So, you know, you were a trailblazer then and you have continued yes. to be a trailblazer now. You, you, you touched on my heart at the end there as you talked about the power of <laughs> industry and government together. And, you know, I'll say despite years of Mythbuster memos and better buying power memos and things like that, we still sometimes forget how important it is to make sure the government and industry engage throughout the life cycle of doing acquisitions and of generating solutions for the government. And, and you know, you've just been so generous in giving of your time to good government organizations like this one, and, and you've had a passion for professional development. Can you share with us why, as like a busy government leader, you still take that extra time to do some volunteer work and give back to the community? And why should other busy government executives maybe make the same choice you've made? Um, well, I've had a long career and I've, I've learned a lot and, and, and you could take it with you, but it's better to share it. So we can take it that simply enough. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to get hooked into ACT-IAC and, and into the, the partners program um, and, and realized that there was a lot to be learned there and these things don't happen on their own. Um, they happen because people make them happen. Um, one of the things I've certainly learned also as a manager uh, is that um, I think you can, you and and there's and there's a there's both a um, altruistic and um, and egotistical reason for doing these things, and 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 you can play it. You, hopefully, it works for both for everybody. You know that that you want to be, as I said, you want to share what, what you know, but you also learn so much um, in 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 being a part of an organization. Um, and and yes, you do have to balance. Um, I I just had a. A meeting with our advisory council and, and this was one of our topics was where do we balance um, our time um, as a big, big program at, with the staff um, you know and, and each person has to find the right right mix um, I've been fortunate to have more 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 staff at it so I can spread it out a bit out to them um, but but still have to show and lead the way that it's important to be a part of beyond the program I run if I want to run the program in a way that is um, knowledgeable of what else is going out there and also giving to other people and, and growing them. Um, life is about growth. Yes, it is. And I appreciate your candor because, you know, it is wonderful to give back, but it is also true that it's helpful to you as a leader 
to have an amplifier effect to, to help, you know, resonating chamber, both to like make sure your priorities are known. How can industry help if they don't know where you're trying to go and also to generate ideas. So there's a lot of value on both sides. And, and you know, as a testimony to receiving the Ginny McCormick Award as an education champion, I, I think, you know, in the minute and a half or so that we have left, I'd love to give you an opportunity to offer some advice to those in the audience, uh, perhaps some mentoring advice about those particularly those who are newer to the federal market and maybe just beginning their career in the federal government. What are some tips that you'd like to give them about things that they should be thinking about as they go forward? I did get involved with quite a few groups and there are many groups out there. There are far too many groups than you ever want to get involved in. <laughs> but if you, want to, if you want to grow yourself, if you're new to the government, take the opportunities that, that hopefully your agency gives you to go out. You know, If you have to on your own time too, there's, there's things that are done there. I could name a slew of different groups just go on any any place and find an act like for being a key one um, that I've remained involved in for a long time. But but don't don't put yourself in. I just have to do my job. You, you're going to learn more by by going out. And there's a lot of good people out there. And again, it's it's both that you're sharing with people, but you're learning from people. And 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 you can't. You're not going to learn by sitting in your office um, what the rest of the world is doing. Um, you have to get out and you have to go past your own insecurities about that might be there. I was not the most secure person. People may not believe that now, but there was a time I was not that secure person about doing those sorts of, of, of outings into, into groups. Find somebody hopefully in your agency and maybe talk to them and see if, what, what groups they recommend that you, you be a part of. Know that it's gonna take a little bit of your, your time, but we're government civil servants for, for a reason. And I think that part of that is to be a, a beacon to, to the world. And, yeah. I love it. That's a great place to leave it as a beacon to the world. Joanne Wojtek is the NASA Soup Program Director and the recipient of the 2021 ACT IAC Education Award. Thank you so much for your distinguished career and for taking the time to chat with us today, Joanne. I'm Dave Wintergren. You've been listening to Accelerating Government. We'll be back again with a new episode next year. I'd like to thank all of the 2021 ACT IAC Leadership Award winners, even those that we didn't get to have on the show today. And uh, you've been listening to Accelerating Government with ACT IAC on Federal News Network. Take care. Thanks for listening to Accelerating Government with ACT IAC. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your podcast feed. Search for Accelerating Government on Podcast One, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts.